Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's stand and we're going to sing together uh, a few songs about this evening.
Isaiah chapter 53, 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. i 
Continuing from John chapter 19. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. 
So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, cloths, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there.
Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I know that making it to an event Friday night at 6 is not always easy, and some of you sacrificed and pushed to get here on time, and I'm great, really grateful for that, so thank you. Through the week that we call Holy Week, we are taking a journey. We are looking at events and moving from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter without rushing too far ahead is good for us. It is good to celebrate Palm Sunday and think of all that that meant with the king being presented. And then tonight, to pause at the journey to the cross without rushing ahead to what we know Easter stands for Sunday morning with the empty tomb. That's our temptation. Tonight, I'd like to reflect with you uh, under the heading that we have in front of you there, our theme this year in our Holy Week sermons, the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ last Sunday in his submission and obedience to the Father's plan. Tonight, the glory of Christ in humiliation and suffering. And then Sunday morning, the glory of Christ in joy that springs eternal. Tonight, um, I'd like for us to visit three moments in that journey of Christ to the cross. Uh, So you know, uh, most of the time I'll be in the Gospel of John, though not exclusively. And my thoughts will be, I think, I hope, shorter than on Sunday morning. We'll see. But I want to begin in John chapter 13. And for my purpose tonight, as we think about Christ in humiliation and suffering, I am using a subheading that I think captures the element of humiliation and suffering. My subheading is the king on his knees. And so I'm thinking together with you about three moments when we see the king on his knees. There's something wrong with that, of course. Kings aren't supposed to be on their knees. Kings are supposed to be on a throne, enthroned. Servants rushing around, taking care of the menial tasks. But this king is a different sort of king. And so, in John 13, we find a moment as Jesus is with his disciples, heading toward those final hours with them. This is the moment when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I'm going to read a part of this text, a large section of it. And I want you to think with me about what is happening here. Uh, The washing of someone's feet back in the day was a bigger deal than it is today. Our feet are typically clad with socks and shoes. And if we're out for a walk in town, uh, we're on sidewalks and things like that. Not so back in the early days. Sandals, dirt roads, animal muck, walking for miles, sweat, The washing of someone's feet, which was proper at a dinner event or someone coming to your house, it was not only for a servant, it was for the lowest of the servants, you know, the rookies, the people that came late to everything, the lowest of the low. You get to wash their feet. And so we come to John 13, and we read this. Now, before the feast of the Passover... 
When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, that is, to the greatest extent possible. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, seriously. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. You have, uh, Jesus said, If I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, if washing is part of belonging to you, I'll take more. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed needs not to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. But I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And I'll stop reading at that point. As Jesus heads toward the cross, I think he he knew the moments. The clock was ticking. And he took these moments to teach some of the most important lessons that there were to teach. Teachable moments, we call them final lessons. He had others to teach. He was soon to tell them, this is how all people will know you're my disciples. If you love one another, that's coming up. But at this moment, he teaches with an object lesson. And he says, the way things work in the kingdom of God isn't top-down, so to speak, but bottom-up. And so it's right that the king would give an example by going to his knees in service. The king on his knees, serving. Now, I move to... Vignette number two. And for this, I'm going to move back to Luke's gospel, chapter 22. And there's a reason for that. I'm going to move to the part where Jesus prays. So the king on his knees in service, and then the king on his knees as he prays. As you look at the different stories told in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each tell the story a little differently. John really says very little about this moment in the garden. A few verses at the beginning of chapter 18 that they go to the garden, but he doesn't really talk about what happens there. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do. And so in Luke 
22, and I'm looking at verses 39 and what follows. Here's what we read after that last supper. It says this, and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, in the different tellings of the, this moment in the garden, Matthew says that Jesus fell on the ground, fell prostrate on the ground. Mark says something similar, falling to the ground. Luke is the one who says he knelt. I suspect that in the different moments that he prayed, all of those were true. The king on his knees in service, and here the king on his knees in agony and in prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. All indications from the Gospels are that this moment, Christ is seeing that cup of the Father's wrath and looking into it and saying, no, in his humanity, awfulness. The cup of the Father's wrath against sin that he was to drink in full. The sin and shame of the world, mine and yours, was soon to be on his shoulders. And here the king is on his knees in agonizing prayer and feeling it before it comes. It's hard for us to imagine what Luke is referring to here, being in agony. I think that's an understatement, being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, sweat becoming like great drops of blood falling to the ground. But to pause at this moment us as observers, as participants, as those who've received the benefits of this agony, I think it's good for us to think and feel every step. The king went to his knees in serving. He fell on his face here, knelt to pray, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup, but not my will. Yours be done. There's a third place in the story, and I think you will understand as I take us there. In the story of the death of Jesus, they were walking a road from the garden to the moment of betrayal, through the various moments of trial and so on. The trial before Pilate, we've heard some of this read already in John 19, as we've read it. Now, the different tellings of the gospel 
In John 19, we read, uh, verse 16 and 17, so Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. They took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. So John has him starting out here carrying his own cross. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three what we call synoptic gospels who tend to be a little uh, closer in telling some of those details, each of them mention this other guy, Simon of Cyrene. Each of them mention him by name. John does not. John starts out saying he's carrying his cross. The others point out that before long, before the walk to the place of crucifixion is done, that another is drafted to carry the cross. So Simon of Cyrene, uh, many have extrapolated from by the name given that perhaps he came to faith in Christ, was maybe known to the people who were reading the gospel stories later on. It's interesting that all three would say, Simon, it's that guy. In one case, the father of Rufus and Alexander. Hint, hint, you might know them. So there are, there are clues about participation. But my point is this. John says Jesus started off carrying his cross. At some point, it went to Simon of Cyrene. History, not recorded scripture, church tradition, talks about Jesus falling under the weight of the cross, at which time the cross was handed off. Now, all of us were raised in different backgrounds and different church traditions, I suppose. Some of us are familiar with what um, broader Christianity, if you will, calls the stations of the cross. Some of you were raised with those elements, and there is a value to uh, all of us, I think, in thinking about such things, even if they're not part of our particular church background. The journey of Christ to the cross going down what historically has been called the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, is marked with different places for those who visit to pause and remember the moment. Now, more goes into those things, again, than from recorded scripture, but on those traditional stations of the cross, there are recorded three moments when Jesus fell. Um, if you count such things, stations three, seven, and nine all have moments when Jesus fell. And again, we don't know if there were three, but it would appear at one point, at least from Scripture, a transfer of the cross to another because Jesus could not continue. So I would suggest that's a third place where you find the king on his knees. And I don't think that's too big of an extrapolation. Jesus, John says, bearing his own cross. I stop there every time. Whose cross? No, mine. Yours. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. Oh, it was his that day. But Jesus, bearing my cross, stumbled under its weight. On the way to the place where he would be nailed to those crossbeams and there to suffer and die. Yes, Jesus, bearing my cross, fell under its weight. And then, again, the different gospel stories. I go again to Luke to read these final moments. Luke 23, 
starting at verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Well, the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, Matthew says, from top to bottom. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who'd followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, John's gospel, as we heard it read earlier, is the only one who mentions those final words, it is finished. It is finished. There are other sayings of Jesus from the cross recorded, but John is the one who captures it is finished. What was finished? What was finished? Well, the payment for sin, yours and mine, the drinking of the cup of the Father's wrath, the once for all offering spoken of by the writer to Hebrews, by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, that one offering now finished, that bearing of my sin and shame. It was finished. I try to put myself in the place of these acquaintances and the women, as they're described, who had followed him from Galilee, standing at a distance watching. What's going through their minds? How are they comforting one another? What are the words that are said? How do they finally leave one and then another to go home to a dimly lit room, led, of course, by candles or little lamps, and to sit in the silence in the dark and wonder what just happened? Now what? I want to go to one more text. I want to go to John 17. This is what we often call the high priestly prayer. It's located again in John only and would seem from the timetable given at the beginning of chapter 18 that Jesus prayed this high priestly prayer before going to the garden because if the chronology makes sense to us, it is after that in chapter 18, the first few verses, that Jesus goes out with the disciples to cross the brook Kidron up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. Be that as it may, I want you to hear the first five verses and think on the theme of glory or glorify, okay? Glory, glorify. So this part of Jesus' prayer, when Jesus had spoken these words, of course, that which precedes, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world was. And I I go there to, to capture with you the glory that belonged to Christ that he left behind in coming down. The glory, he says, I had with you, Father, before the world was. And so he, as Philippians 2 will tell us, left the glory of the Father, glory Isaiah saw, we saw in John 12 last week, Isaiah saw his glory. Jesus left that glory and was robed in humanity. That was a coming down. The song we sing at Christmas, Wesley, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus took on flesh. Went down and took the form of a servant. And as Paul would say in that text, Philippians 2, he submitted himself to death. Oh, not just any death. Even the death of the cross. Yes, Jesus came way down. Humiliation, suffering, no place for a king. But our king, this king, the king who came and went to his knees, went to his knees in serving. He went to his knees in agonized prayer. He went to his knees in suffering and then took the journey to the cross. The glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. I hope the mystery of this captures you. That he did this for us. Imagine. He did this for us. Not because we're so amazing. So that we could know his glory and with him look on the Father's glory and be with him someday. I have said in other settings that the death of Jesus on the cross is secondarily a testament to our worth and primary, primarily a, a testament to God's worth, the value of God in his glory. We don't ever want to forget that. Sometimes in our popular telling of the story of the cross, we walk away thinking Jesus did that because we're so important Before we go there, he went there first because the glory of God and the justice of God was more important. Now, I close with this. In John 13, the part of that story we read, Jesus was interacting with Peter. When Peter said, you can't wash my feet, Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed 
needs only to wash his feet. He's using imagery here to say, one who's been cleansed by God. That would, in our other language, would mean that would be a person who's trusted Christ as their sin bearer, their redeemer, the one who is washed. Needs only to wash his feet. That's the daily mess you get in as you walk through this world. It's a reminder to us that each of us needs to come to Christ for cleansing, forgiveness for sin once and for all. And then again and again as we walk through this world, come again and say, yes, Lord, I need my feet to be washed again. I hope you know Christ is your Savior. This Jesus who took this, this journey for the glory of the Father and for, for you, for me. I hope you know him as your sin bearer, your redeemer, your savior. Now, as we think about this tonight, uh, the ladies who opened our service with music are going to come again, and we're going to sit and listen for just a few minutes, one more song as we wait before the Lord. And when they're done playing, I will step up and pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. And of course, I'll give you a heads up uh, already. As we go, the, the nature of a service like this intended to be quieter and calmer. Music will still continue after we're done. If you'd like to stay in the room, linger a bit, you can do that. If you're heading into uh, a louder conversation, we have wonderful space for that out there. Okay? So we'll, we'll make our transition at that point. Ladies, would you play for us? And let's think together on what Christ has done for us.
I'd love to pray for us, please. Our Father, the story of Jesus walking to the cross is amazing to us in its every part. That you would plan a redemption like that is stunning to us. We thank you tonight that you did. We thank you for Jesus. God in the flesh, coming so far down, way down. Heaven's glory to dirty and dusty roads, to a stable, all the way to a cross. Lord, thank you for this. Father, I pray that whether this is newer to us or, in a sense, old news, that we would never lose a sense of awe at what Jesus, the Christ, has done for us. So help us with that, even in these moments as we leave in silence, think, meditate, worship. Thank you for these moments. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stay if you like or head out as you wish.